What backs hell up is the living word of God. And so when they were 12 years old, they knew why they were on earth. We have kids in their 40s and 50s, because I call them kids, because they're just in big bodies, does not mean they're a man or a woman. We have kids now, 40 and 50, that still don't know what they're supposed to be doing. We have kids in there in college that change their major three and four times. But a Jewish child at age 12 knew what God had put them on the earth and pursued that thing so they could fulfill it. I can back it up with New Testament scripture with Joseph and Mary one day when they missed Jesus and could not find him, backtracked and he was in the temple, had unrolled the scroll of Isaiah, was astounding the scribes by speaking prophetically and, and, and speaking with great authority out of the book of Isaiah. And he was 12 years old and his mother and father said, we were worried about you. And he turns around and says, do you not know that I would be about my father's business because every parent to be able to impute and impart to their children by the age of 12 what Father God created you for. Come on, I, I want to talk to us this morning. Therefore, we have a restless generation on our hands. We have a generation that's turning away from God. We have kids who act godly, but when they go off to college and to the universities, we are now realizing they were under the peer pressure of the church, the peer pressure of their mother and father, but they transferred that peer pressure in college and universities by coming under the peer pressure of people that were around them. Because of no revelation, you will always go with the flow. So we are in a crisis. Please hear me this morning because I do not want you to hear me by a culture. I hope we have Christians in here. Amen. And I hope we're delivered from culture because we're not even supposed to focus in on culture. It says every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And so I hope you hear me this morning. We have a president that you can line him up in the book of Exodus. He did not know and does not know the God of Joseph. Because when God of Joseph showed up, you did not borrow stimulus money from your enemy. You knew that Jehovah Jireh would provide. And listen, when you don't turn to God in an economic crisis, you don't know God. It is scary this morning that we would borrow from our enemies. And listen, we, we don't, listen, we may have walked part of our life stupid, but God, please have mercy that we don't die stupid. Can you turn around to your neighbor and say, grab that prophetically? <laughs> say, I'm determined I am not going to go out stupid. You do not draw up a contract of stimulus money and do not have an agreement in there when you're going to pay it, how you're going to pay it, and what's going to happen if you don't pay it. Hello. We are in a God moment right now. That the church must focus and rise up and be who God declared that she would be. But listen... We need to understand. Now, please hear me this morning because I'm old 
You know what? You know, when you get 71, there's something that's a paradigm shift. I'm closer to heaven than you. (laughs) So I could care two hoots about how you look at me. I raised teenagers, so I want you to relax because you can't scare the hell out of me. Because I think I've seen every look that anybody could ever put on their face. So listen to me this morning. The church has failed. Now you've got to stay with me. Because our nation would not be in the shape it's in if the church had been what she should be. Because only the church can raise the standard for a nation. And when you have folk inside the church that are acting like the world and come together for a religious service and go back out and act like the world, you can't raise a standard. I don't care how you wave a flag or a banner or shout or prophesy. You are the standard. You and I are the standard. Now, I love that song, and they overcame by the blood and by the word of their testimony. The problem is, that's not scriptural. Because you didn't quote it all. Because you can't overcome by the blood, and you can't overcome by the word of your testimony, unless you see that little comma that says this, and they loved not their life unto death. Y'all got to hear me this morning. Because part of our paradigm shift we need to make is taking the Word of God out of contents. Context. Tense. Text. Taking it out anyway. It was the dream of every Jewish mother. It was in her heart. That when her son got 12 years old and he would stand before the rabbi and the rabbi would listen to his replies by scripture. That the rabbi would hear something that would come out of her son. Because after the bar mitzvah was over, the rabbi had the authority to choose five young Jewish boys. Only five. And for the next several years, those five boys would have the privilege of sitting at the feet of the rabbi and he would teach them. And it was every Jewish mother's heart that her son would be chosen. And if he was chosen, it was the mother that would come over and grab his cheeks and tilt his head up and say, listen, my son, stay close enough to the rabbi that the dust off of his sandals will settle on your clothes. The greatest rabbi, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
grabbed a hold of 12 faces and lifted them up and said, come follow me. And his assignment was to pour into these 12 men for three and a half years something that would settle on them. You have to be close to the footsteps of someone for the dust that they kick up by the way they walk to settle on your garments. Can I talk to you this morning? And the church needs a prophetic encounter that we return to the greatest rabbi, Jesus Christ himself, and that he opens the book and we begin to follow with a passion that many of us have lost, lost in this room, a passion for his word, that his dust, the way he walked, the way he talked, the way he prayed, the way he focused in on his assignment, the way that he could address every situation and have the answer for every question it settles on our garment and we come in contact with heaven because listen to me this morning you can't sing your way into heaven you have to walk your way in it has to settle on you and part of what God needs to deliver us from is worship is only partly music but we think it's all Worship is the way you walk. Worship is the way you live. Worship is what you do when you leave the sanctuary. Worship is how you treat your husband. Worship is how you treat your children. Worship is how you live your life as a single. Worship is how you pronounce that the kingdom of God is in your midst because he settled on where my clothes are and he is a part of me. He has covered me. And so this morning, we forget that success is never a mega church. Success is never a mega ministry. Success is you learn how to be faithful to what he has committed you to. We have to learn this morning that most of us are more impressed with ourselves than we're impressed with God. When people are confused, you have to comfort them. If you don't comfort them when they're confused, they'll just get more confused. But after you con comfort them, if they're confused, you have to confront them. And confrontation ought to be the greatest compassion that God ever shows to you. Because can I tell you right now, the greatest gift that God can give you and I can, right now is not a big house, not bills paid off, not healings in our body, not a mega church, not a big ministry, but the ability to respond to God with repentance because our heart has not hardened. Come on, that's the greatest gift God can give you right now. That's the greatest gift God can give me. Is that I'm, <laughs> I'm soft enough to God that I know when I'm acting crazy. <laughs> Come on, just look at your neighbor and say, I think I've shared that moment with you more than once.
God is calling forth righteousness that he can breathe on and make it holiness. God is not calling forth numbers. God is calling forth righteousness that he can make it and mold it into holiness. He is not calling forth numbers. I want God to deliver us this morning and focus us on the fact that our agenda can never replace his. One of the things that frustrate me with God is I have so many great ideas that seem not to impress him. <laughs> Can I make these statements as we get into the word of God? What you care enough about, you will stake your reputation on. I have a lot of people that say I'm old school. Well, we all ought to be old school. Because the Bible says over and over in Proverbs, do not remove the ancient boundaries of your forefathers. Why? Because if you move them, you'll go places that I never intended for you to go. Can I talk to you? The Ten Commandments was not established so that God could say, you can't do this and you can't do that. He says, don't do it because I know where it'll take you. Come on, and our problem is we don't want to be old school because the real truth is we don't want anybody telling us what we can and cannot do. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me this morning. And the reason that we're that way, we're little children that want to stay on the playground when America is on the battleground. We got to grow up. Nobody wants to grow up. Isn't it amazing when we're children, we want to grow up because mom and dad can't tell us what to do? Come on. Don't look at me that way. You lie, you fry. Come on. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to get my own house. I'm getting out from under this. Come on, just turn around to someone and say, I think I had that moment. <laughs> Teenagers are nothing more than people that grow up and realize sooner or later, whatever age, their parents weren't as stupid as they thought they were. <laughs> what do y'all want me to preach on? <laughs> Remember, we don't come together for Bible thoughts. That's why we have our our notebooks out and we write Bible thoughts down. And then we leave and we don't even have a thought. <laughs> Come on, can I mess with you this morning? I'm going to, and if you disagree, it's okay. You've been wrong before. Hallelujah. Let me just talk to you. We don't come together for Bible thoughts. We come together to hear the voice of God. Amen. To hear the voice of God is different from a Bible thought. Ooh, that sounds good. I'm going to write that down, underline it, and highlight it. Don't know what it means. I ain't going to pray it through, but boy, it sounds good. <laughs> I 
to hear his voice. You know why? Because there's a lot of crazy voices talking to me right now. And listen, on your journey, you'll hear a lot of voices. And sadly enough, you'll hear some crazy voices across the pulpit. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Where are y'all? Give me a high five. I need some help. when I hear his voice that it transforms me and challenges me and changes me. Not when I hear Bible thoughts. But I heard him at age seven sitting on the third row in the middle pew at, at First Baptist Church and we were holding a revival and Brother Rose was preaching. And like a little seven-year-old, I was listening to him. Did I understand everything? No. But I did understand this. Jesus needs to come into my heart. Come on. If you were Baptist, you used to sing it. Come on. In my heart. In to my heart. Come in to my heart. Lord Jesus, listen to them Baptists, come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I said, we didn't understand that, but God did. And here's what he understood. It's your heart that's deceitful and it's wicked. And no man knows it but me. Out of the abundance of your heart. Come on. Your mouth speaks. What he was saying is, you need heart surgery. And the great physician and savior needs to step inside there. So it can transform you. Did we understand that? No. But all God was asking of us was saying these words, come into my heart. Because the invitation, he heard it and he came into our heart. And so this morning, as we look at it, I want us to hear the voice of God. I don't know what it is about mountains. But mountains are the most incredible, incredible thing. I I just went through to look at some of them. Uh, Mount Zion. You remember Mount Zion? David brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Mount Zion. But what I love about it is he brought it back his own way the first time. And God said, excuse me, I don't even care about your good efforts or intention. It's my way or no way. And he brought it back on the Ark. You remember that. Because the church tries to structure things. See, it's easier for us to go to a seminar that's about church growth and church structure. Because you can structure a church without God's involvement. And you can structure a church with no prayer. Come on. Come on. Structure is the counterfeit of the enemy for divine order. Divine order is what puts God over the project. 
And divine order is where he settles his presence. He cannot settle in church structure. He can show up to bless you. Come on, heal you. Come on, prosper you. Deliver you. Touch you. But he cannot build his kingdom in the midst of church structure. He has to build his kingdom in divine order. Because divine order means, excuse me, you just got demoted. I'm in charge. So divine order is something I do not like. How many of you understand God does not care what you don't like? <laughs> and you know what I want to tell you about God? He, he doesn't even care if you get your feelings hurt. Come out here, just say, you got your feelings hurt? Get over it and get healed. Come out, you're over there in the corner like a kid. Come out, I have need of you. It's like hide and seek. Come on, get out from under there. So we have a president that does not know God. He doesn't know the God of Joseph. We're in the book of Exodus where we need a deliverer to come. Because now we have so blended in with the world that God is having to use discernment to recognize his church. We are killing the babies at the Nile River. You're saying how we're killing them. When you have a president that endorses homosexuality, same-sex marriage, you just drowned out the male seed of identity. Come on, church, wake up. This homosexuality isn't a sex issue. It's an identity issue. And it's driving out the males and drowning them so they don't know they're a man anymore. We're in the plagues. We had the flu virus. <laughs> they gave you a vaccine. Can I inform you? Because one of my friends work at a research lab. They have no idea what the flu virus was, but they didn't want to panic on the people, so they just gave you a vaccine and made you convinced it would cure it. Oh Tuberculosis. Do you realize right now they've announced that Dallas and Fort Worth have a tuberculosis epidemic? And it's airborne. Y'all ain't hearing me. The only way you can keep yourself safe from it in the natural is quit breathing. <laughs> Polio is on the uprise. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, polio. Why? Come on, church, work with me in the Bible. Come, come on, because I know I'm shocking some of you, but we've got to grow up. God has need of his church right now. Amen. And we're it. Yeah. That's how come I know God has big faith. Oh, y'all ain't... <laughs> Turn around and somebody say, oh my God, we're it. (laughs) 
Don't that make you an intercessor? I pray this weekend that the Lord would make his mark on each of us that would be so pressed into our heart we can make a mark for him. Mount Moriah. Abraham goes up with, I, with, uh, Abra, with Isaac. Isn't it amazing? Isaac was the promise. You would have thought God would make him take Ishmael. But until you lay down your promises and what you love and what God did for you and believe that when you lay it down in obedience and surrender to him, he always has a provision that is better because if Abraham had not laid it down, he would have never had the revelation of the ram that was in the thicket called Jehovah Jireh. God will always go after what you love. Lovest thou me more than mother, father, house, land? We don't like to preach those scriptures because they don't make us have goosebumps. I'll always challenge where I am in your priority. Mount Moriah. I looked up another one. <laughs> Mount Calvary. What a prophetic moment at Mount Calvary. Not a religious experience, a prophetic moment. That you and I could never be what God created us to be without a Savior. Come on, without a Savior. I love Joseph. There's not much said about him, Sybil, except he was a righteous man. But you know what I love about him? He loved God more than his reputation. He took a nine-month pregnant woman and pulled her right in to the prophetic scene that God had waiting in front of him at Bethlehem. And his heart was to protect the seed, not protect his reputation. And not only did he protect the seed, he, he made a place for the seed to be birthed. God chose a stable. Because we've got to understand prophetically, God comes into a lot of mess. Come on, you want him to be born in the palace. Come on, it ain't that clean in your life. Don't make me start prophesying. Come on. He dropped the seed right in the manger and said, I have come to clean up the stuff. He grows up with Joseph as his earthly father. He spends his first 30 years in a carpenter shop. 
It was prophetic. God could have chose him to have any kind of parent. But he chose a father to be earthly as a carpenter. Because he said, son, don't ever forget. We're building something. And it's got to be eternal. And you've got to hammer it down good. Because hell is going to come after it. And if it's hammered down good and it's on the rock, it'll stand. Church, we are called as ministers to build people's lives. And we just want to touch them and say, Shandalalala, God loves you. Hakabakahuku. Nails are supposed to hurt. There is no nail proof nail. Come on, if truth is spoken in the church, it's supposed to be hammered strong enough that you feel a jolt in your life and something has happened and you realize that the Savior has just made His entrance into your life and He's here to transform you, conform you, and change you. So that day, 33 and a half years old, that day, he's carrying the weight of a cross. But his focus is, this is why I came, to build something that would be eternal enough. Hell could not win. And I talked to you this morning. He pulls this cross. Any, any mountain that he could have gone by, God had him go by Mount Calvary, called Mount Golgotha, Golgotha, the skull. And if you've ever been to Israel, you do not have to have an imagination to recognize the skull. It is so enveloped into that mountain. Because God created it. The hollowness of man's eyes, the hollowness of his nose, his ears, his mouth. And Jesus prophetically walks by it and prophesied that the emptiness of man and the curse of the law is about to fulfill because Emmanuel, God with you, is about to lay his life down on the cross and he came to change your mind, cause you to see prophetically, cause you to hear prophetically, and cause you to speak prophetically so you won't be empty like the world that has not been filled with God. That's where we are. Turn in your Bibles. First Kings chapter eighteen. Can you hear an adjustment from God this morning? Because 
You've got to understand, I'm preaching to myself. I'm not just preaching to you this morning. I desperately need a fresh encounter with God. Because listen to me, church. By the end of December, we are going to have such a paradigm shift in our nation and with the government. We will not recognize America. And listen, the church to be in spiritual denial is not the place to be. Come on, because we have a prophetic promise this morning that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. It means hell doesn't win, but listen to me. It does not mean hell won't come after it. It just don't win. We are facing the one world government. It is already in place, church. The one world church, it is already in place. And the one world money. Listen to me this morning. God is on our side. But he's desperately coming to the church right now to get us on his side. He's already on our side. We need to be on his side because the kingdoms of this world, come on, shall become, come on, talk to me, shall become the kingdoms of our God. I want to be in the right kingdom. When leaders and believers love prosperity and success more than Jesus, the church is off the track. We're in trouble. I want to say it again. We're in serious trouble. When we love success and prosperity more than we love intimacy with Jesus, we have gotten off the track. And we need to get back on the track prophetically. When I look at leadership, see, I, I'm talking to you prophetically this morning. I'm 71. I don't have much time. I'm not going to be around your bush. I'm coming in your bush. Come on. Come on. When I look at leaders that we hear they're immoral, giving birth to children out of wedlock, carrying on different affairs with women, homosexual, drugs and alcohol, and we don't even address it because we want to say, touch not God's anointing. Something is crazy in the church. Because what that scripture means, touch not God's anointing, is you never touch where God resides to destroy, come on, or to make yourself look better than the person that's entrapped. But you do address it because there's a difference in being judgmental and judging. Judging will set you free. Judgmentalness will condemn you. Come on, church. We've got to grow up. So we're dealing with people that want their life blessed but don't want anything addressed.
living in a culture that's declining. Wake up, church. There are no morals in America. And listen, if you think America is a Christian nation, you are being deceived. We have not been a Christian nation for over 30 years. You cannot be a Christian nation and endorse abortion, homosexuality, same-sex marriages. Oh, y'all are not hearing me. And we are the ones called of God, women that can focus in intercession and prayer, men that can focus on God in intercession and prayer. We're the ones that can change the declining nation. It's not impossible because the Bible says nothing is impossible with God. Come on. Without God, there are some things that are impossible. But with God, there is nothing impossible. God will show you that he's greater than a government, than an education system, and the decline in families right now. We are living in the most chaotic situation with families right now. I have a doctorate degree in psychology. I have never, I have never seen families decaying like they are right now. Never. Never. pretty frightening when a four-year-old can tell their parents what they're going to do and not do, where they're going to eat and where they're not going to eat, what they're going to wear and what they're not going to wear. You need a revelation of when they get 14. (laughs) And then we want the church to straighten our teenagers out. Parenting is not for wimps. That little baby you carry in your arm when you give birth to it and you say, isn't it cute, cutesy-poo? Ain't nothing cute about it in the sight of God. You know why? Because it's formed in iniquity. First breath it breathes, it comes out in iniquity. You know what iniquity is? It has a stubborn will to bend against God. And parents are supposed to bend it in the right direction. It is not for wimps. My son's sitting back there, and I can remember (laughs) one time when he was 10, he said, I'm not going to do it. I said, I didn't know you wanted to be an astronaut. Because you are fixing to see stars, moons, and galaxies. now that want to be their kid's best friend. You are not their best friend. You are their worst nightmare. (laughs) God did not say to you give birth to this child and hang out with them and be their best friend. Come on, you're, you're, you're their parent. You are to assist them to always have a brain. And if they lose it, you're supposed to help them find it. (laughs) Some of y'all looking like we're waiting for the luncheon. (laughs) 
This is a time to make much of the Word of God, much of the blood of God, and much of the shortness of time that we have left. I am going to read the Word. Y'all have to pray for me. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Let me stop right here and tell you, this economic crisis that is going to get worse. Come on, church, it's going to get worse. That's why you need a relationship with God because this Bible says this truth. I have never seen the righteous, come on, forsaken are their seed begging for bread. You're going to have to do more than quote it in the days ahead. You're going to have to walk it out. See, I hold in my hand 66 books. There is no answer to any question I will ever have that's not in this book. There's nothing I will ever go through that isn't in this book. I love Paul the Apostle. He's one of my favorites. He writes the Pauline epistles. Pauline epistles were the pastoral letters that he wrote. He writes the book of Ephesians. The interesting thing is he's in jail. His flesh is hanging off of his body. They have beaten him again. He does not know whether he will come out of jail or whether he will live or die. He has no idea. And he sits down and the Holy Ghost has an entrance into his heart bigger than his emotions and bigger than where he is and bigger than the injustice. Can I talk to you? He is so focused. That word that you chose. He is so focused on God. There's a channel of God running right down in his life and he pins out the book of Ephesians and talks about the next generation. That you and I, how we're to live, how do we worship God, how our families should be, how society should be. He is focused. We can't even get people committed enough to get focused if they get their feelings hurt because someone gave them the wrong look. Whenever there's an economic crisis, it's not the devil. How about I'm, I'm going to shake you up this morning. And listen, your pastor has the right to stand up and correct anything she wants. But listen to me. When there's an economic crisis in a nation, it is not hell and it is not the devil. God knows how to get the attention of his people. See, right. so we don't know that kind of God. We really don't know that kind of God. That he'd love us enough <laughs> to get our attention. We got parents now that sit their kids and time out. Time out for what? <laughs> Come on, I'm a psychologist. Time out for what? 
so they can play their video. Time out so they can get grumpy. Time out because they know it don't mean one hill of beans and when they get up, they can do it again. The only time out in Christian's life ought to be a whooping. Because you know why? Come on, I want to talk to you modern day parents that we got grumpy chairs. Time out. We don't raise them like like y'all did. Time out. Listen, you know what the Bible says? You spare the rod, you'll spoil the child, but if you apply the rod, you'll save him from hell. I say, if you can't call it out, whoop it out. (laughs) I'm not talking about child abuse. I'm not talking about anger where you slap them around and everything. I'm, if you're out of control, send them to the room till you get in control and then whoop them. This is padded for a reason. <laughs> God looked down and said, they're going to need whooping. Put a double layer there. Discipline says, I love you enough to tell you unacceptable behavior. That's why he says, if I love you, come on, I'm going to chasten you. The southern translation says, I'm going to whoop you. (laughs) Why? Because what you're doing is unacceptable. And if I don't discipline you, and I don't discipline the ones around you, you'll begin to think it's okay with God to behave that way. There was a famine. And Ahab, verse 3, called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord. And, and, and when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord... Obadiah took a hundred, hid fifty in one cave, fifty in the other, gave him bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to the springs of the water, to the valley. Perhaps we'll find grass and save the horse and mules alive and not lose some of our animals. I have just described the United States of America that care more about their pets than they do people. Can I shock you? Thank you. Three billion, billion dollars were spent on pets in the United States of America last year. Pet hotels, pet psychiatrists, pet gravesites, pet cosmetics, pet therapy, pet clothes, pet food, pet toys. We are so messed up. Come here, little boy. Here's mommy. I didn't know you opened your womb and gave birth to a hairy four, four-legged dog. 
You should have called Guinness Book of Records. You could have, you could have tied the big check to the church. And church, I'm not against animals. That isn't my point. But what my point is, when we call him Mama's little boy and Mama's little girl, come here, we have equaled them to humans. Oh, none of y'all will be back tonight. I'm not against dogs. We have two. But they're dogs. I remind them, you are a dog. You do not get in my bed. Humans lay in my bed. But I'm trying to talk to you about priorities getting back in order. God created pets for you to love pets, but not to equal them with humans. Right. Listen to Ahab. That's married to Jezebel. I'm going to go find water and grass to save my animals. The people have been in a famine for three and a half years, starving to death with no water and no crop, and his focus is on his possession, not on God's creation. Well, y'all, come on. I got a behavior. I'll never be back. So they divided the land between them. Ahab went in one direction, Obadiah in the other way. And Obadiah on the way beheld Elijah. And Obadiah recognized him and fell to his face and said, It's you, my Lord. And he answered, It is I go tell Ahab uh, to meet me. And he said, How could I go? Because uh, if I go and you're not here when I get back, uh, Ahab will kill me. And he said, As the Lord lives, there's been no nation or kingdom where, the, where he's not sentenced to seek you out. And when they would say he's not here, we'd have to take an oath that we had not found you. And you say, Now go tell him, Behold, Elijah's here. But I know the Spirit of the Lord will carry you up, and I don't know where. And when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, has it not been told to you that when Jezebel wanted to kill the prophets, how I hid these hundred? men in a cave 50 by 50 and fed them uh, water and bread and now you say go tell Elijah uh, uh, that you are here he'll kill me and he said as long as the Lord of hosts live by whom I stand I will show myself to him today so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him and Ahab went up to meet Elijah and when Ahab saw Elijah he said oh you troublemaker of Israel <laughs> Let me, let me point out two, two points to you. When you obey God, it doesn't matter who wants to kill you. They are not going to find you. Come on, they had sought Elijah for over three years and could not find him. My question is, am I obedient enough to God in this hour? That he can hide me. Because see. We have had such liberty in this land. We do not believe. We are in total spiritual denial. We do not believe. 
that the one world church is fixing to dictate to you when you can have meetings, how long they will be, and what you can say. The platform has already been set. When they are saying in Washington, D.C., and please hear me because I have a friend that is up there in a top position, they are already saying, watch Christians because they are intolerant. And when you have a government that tells you you have to recognize every religion, that is the platform for one world church. Come on, church. We need, we need to be prophetic this morning. And prophetic, you know it because it's been taught in your church. It's been taught at Shady Grove. It's been taught. Prophetic is to catch the mind of God, the heart of God, and the will of God. See it like God is seeing it, not like you want it to be. These are the ends of the ages. This is the greatest showdown that is fixing to take place in 1 Kings. He recorded it for you. The false prophets against the true prophets of God. Oh, you troublemaker of Israel. I love this bald-headed, overweight, wrinkled prophet that stands there and says... I did not create trouble. You created trouble for yourself when you chose not to obey the commandments of God. He's saying that in front of Ahab, who is the king in the natural, who could behead him right there, and he takes a stand for God. What is my stand going to be for God when they call me a troublemaker? Am I going to back down or I'm going to say, no, the trouble in our nation right now is because we turned away from Jehovah Yahweh. There is no other God. There is no other God. Jehovah Yahweh is his name. Elijah stands there. I love it. I have not troubled Israel. You have your father's house because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you followed after the gods of Baal. Now therefore send together all the people of Israel to Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Ashtoreth who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gave the prophets, gathered them together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to the people and said, How long? Will you limp between two opinions? Either God is God or Baal is Baal. I'm not saying anything that you hadn't heard. But I do want you to hear this this morning. My heart cries out for revival. Revival is not a word that you can put for the lost, though the lost will get saved. Revival is not so you can have manifestations of healing, though in that atmosphere people will get healed. Revival isn't so that 
we can find some kind of great experience with God where everybody is slain in the spirit and prophesied over, though in that atmosphere it could happen. Revival comes from a Hebraic word that literally means the life of God is in a person and suddenly they don't even realize that they have lost that life and they need mouth-to-mouth resuscitation because if God doesn't breathe on them again, the church is going to die. And God's been having us call out for revival because he understands you've got to have a face-to-face encounter with me again so heaven can blow inside of you and you cannot die but live because his life is there and because he's in his rightful place. I want to see revival. I don't want to die till I see it. Listen, we had a we had an experience in Toronto. But anything that comes and goes and wavers back and forth is a visitation from God. It's not a revival. Can I talk to you? We had an experience at Brownsville. But anything that stops and now it's anything that starts and now it stops, that's not revival. That's a visitation. God wants to pour into us prophetically his life that nothing can take it away from us. And it has no beginning, but it has no end because he's alpha and Omega. Come up, we're not up and down. We're not excited now, we're not excited. We don't need a word all the time because we have the word. And if God does give us a word, we're grateful for it. We really don't need it. Come on, church. We really don't need it because we have the word. But if God comes and gives a word to us, then we are grateful that God still knows I'm hanging on. Come on, I don't even quote having done all to stand, stand. I just say having all to do to hang on. God, I'm going to keep hanging on. Stay with me because I'm headed somewhere. You can't have rain in the church, in the fire, in the fire, it ain't coming. Send the rain, Lord. Send the rain. It ain't coming. Stay with me. That's why I don't preach very many places. It's not going to come. Because God cannot contradict His Word. And Elijah had to rebuild and restore something and get it in order for the fire to have a place to fall and the rain to come. Come on. Because God said, excuse me, get it in order and stand back and see the fire and see the rain.
remember when my grandson was two years old. He looked at me and he said, Nana, I have the keys to your car. I looked at him, he's two years old, had, had the keys to the car, and he said, and I'm going to drive. <laughs> Potential, but in a moment of insanity. <laughs> he has a potential to drive, but I am not going to be insane and put a two-year-old in my car, let him turn on the ignition just because he has the potential. Because when he wrecks, they are not going to look at the two-year-old and arrest him. They are going to look at me and call me insane and arrest me. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me this morning. The potential is here. Because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. All that God is, Emmanuel with you. Everything we need is here. But he can't turn the vehicle over to children. we got to grow up so we can push this thing forward in the kingdom of God and not see failure, but see divine results. It's here. It's in you. You are the hope of glory. My grandson's 13 now. He wants to know if he can drive. <laughs> Absolutely not. You have the desire now. But you can't drive. Walk with me. God is our help. God is our present help. In time of trouble. Church America's in trouble. It is our present help in time of trouble. God is sovereign. And now God steps up. And he asks Elijah. Can you say this to the people? How long will you tarry between two opinions? See, I, I want to say this to you prophetically this morning. It's not, it's not just over your life. It's over my life and it's over the church right now. God doesn't always put up with indecisiveness. God didn't always put up with us playing both sides of the fence. God didn't put up with us being more carnal-minded than spiritual-minded. There comes a prophetic moment when God says, I have need of you. You don't, you don't even understand where your nation is and where it's headed and what's going I have need of you. And I will ask you the prophetic question because you're either on my side or you're on the other side. You know why so much miracles and, and Yvette can testify to it and, and, and 
Civil Griffin and others in this room. You know why there's so much miracles overseas? Because they've made the decision whose side they're on, even unto death. And because they've made that kind of commitment and sold out, and their life is literally full of God, God fills them up with himself. We, 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 we got people that should be at this retreat, but now we've given the church the freedom to choose whether they want to come to an event or not. If God's talking, the church should be there. It doesn't matter if he's talking through a praise and worship leader, through a luncheon, through a speaker, through other speakers. It shouldn't be an option for the church, but our priorities are so out of order. The voices out there are louder than the voices in here. Come on, that's why I couldn't pastor. Nobody would join my church. <laughs> but I tell you what, I'd end up with the dirty dozen. <laughs> that's not you because you chose. got to decide you know what's scary right now that we'll come back tonight those that are brave uh, you know what's scary right now you cannot rewrite history until you erase it can I say that again you cannot rewrite history until you erase history Our government and our education system at this very moment is erasing the history of America. Civil and I are old enough. She's older than me. <laughs> Not really. Civil and I are old enough. You cannot convince us, no will you ever convince us, that God was not involved in government in the United States of America. Because we have a point of reference. You will never convince us that God was not involved in the education system because we have a point of reference. You cannot convince us that God is supposed to be involved in marriages. Your house should have a church service every day. If the church service is on Sunday, you need to call out to God. Because you ought to be holding church in your house. That's, you know what I mean by that? Praying. You know what I mean by that? Reading the word. Do you know what I mean by that? Singing songs of praise. You'll never convince me that God wasn't involved in, in family. But let me show you the eraser and then I'm going to close. Nativity scene that used to be on the White House, erase it. Because it speaks that Christ is on the grounds. Prayer in school, erase it. Because man is smart enough to achieve goals without God. Merry Christmas, erase it. Happy holiday. Because we have to blend in with every religion. Easter, erase it. Now it is spring break because Easter to Christians mean that God resurrected. Erase it. 
education. Right now in the state of Texas, they are viewing our textbooks for our children and taking every mention of God in history. A big erase, erase it so this generation won't have a focus point that he was ever involved and the children they have will never know that God wants to be involved in government to keep it in order, in education, to keep its mind sound, and in the family so it can be in divine order. Erase it. Erase it. And so your word is focus. I cannot look at that and not focus. Erase it from the family. Same-sex marriage. Erase it. Because if, if it becomes the norm, you may not accept it. But this generation, their children will know that the norm is normal, even if you think it's abnormal. Erase it. State after state, erase it. Same-sex marriage, re-identify the family, erase it. And church, listen, we need to focus on a prophetic moment right now. If we really believe that, the church would be open every day of the week with people in here praying because our government education system and the re-identifying of family is leading us into captivity. Because hell wants to rewrite it. You don't need God. You tell God what kind of sex you want. You don't need God. You don't, you don't need that old school thinking that, that God really wants marriage between a husband and wife. Just, just live in with whoever you want to live in. And then when, when it's over, you can just walk away and nobody's bothered with finances. Rewrite it. Rewrite it, Methodist Church, Episcopal, Lutheran. Homosexuals and lesbians can stand in the pulpit and represent God in this holy book. Rewrite it. Because after all, we don't want to be intolerant. We, we want to get along. Aren't we here to get along? Rewrite it so that your kids look at the pulpit and people can preach heaven and live like hell. Rewrite it. And oh, by the way, Throw that religious little thought in. Don't be judgmental. Because then they won't even address it. Just rewrite it. Rewrite it. And I want to come back tonight. And I want to tell you what. There is an answer. And it's a powerful answer for the church if they'll do it according to the book. Because listen to me very clearly. As if it had come, God had the first word, and my God's going to have the last word. He's going to have the last word. And the kingdoms of this world.
shall become the kingdoms of my God. And I'm not called to be in a religious system. I'm called to be in the kingdom of God. Because there's one that if I stay close enough to him, his dust, his dust will get on my clothes. And somebody will know I've been with him. Walk close to the rabbi. His name is Jesus, the teacher. Yes, God. Amen. Thank you, God.